this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as we continue working through this glorious letter to the Hebrews, we this morning will be focused in on verses 3 through 17, but I'd like to just begin at the beginning of the chapter. Before reading the passage, just by way of reminder, in chapter 11, we have been shown the glory of a testimony of a great cloud of witnesses that walked by faith. And that is for the original recipients of this letter, for their good, for their instruction, for their encouragement, and for us as well. And so as he moves the author to this letter into chapter 12, really, by way of reminder, there's not a a break Uh, a chapter break necessarily because the first word there in chapter 12 is therefore so we can't forget what just came before in order to understand what we're about to read and so following along in God's word please hear it now therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright 
for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I want to read for you um, something that was posted on Reddit anonymously. And it started with this. Has anybody else's life gotten significantly harder as a Christian? The writer says this. I was born into a Christian family but became an atheist during college. I was an atheist spiritual until I gave my life to Christ in March 2021. There was a beautiful honeymoon period where I was on fire for Christ. This lasted a few months. What followed afterwards were some of the worst moments of my life. Months and months of spiritual attacks that have made my life miserable. I still believe in God and I want to do his will, but I didn't know the Christian race would be this hard. My life wasn't rainbows and roses when I was an atheist, but I never was, not even close to as spiritually attacked to the extent I am now. As a result of all these attacks, a part of me has become very bitter, and I find myself thinking of revenge a lot. I know we will have trials and tribulations, but I'm honestly just tired of it all. Any advice? Question mark. Maybe this describes you this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for a few years or for decades, I want to remind you of what we heard in Hebrews chapter 5. So the author in Hebrews 5 is building up momentum, so to speak, to expound upon the excellencies of Christ in all of his glory, about to launch into Christ being our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he pauses in chapter 5 and says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The Hebrew Christians had been walking with the Lord for some time, but they were in need of learning once again the basic principles of the Christian life so that they would not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I want to submit to you that all of us need that kind of pause moment in our lives, like the person who wrote this Reddit inquiry, this asking for help, to be reminded once again of the basic principles of the Christian life. If those are out of whack or not uh, secure on a firm foundation, I promise you, your life will reflect the, the, the way in which this person, this young believer, is reflecting. Like, this is not what I thought Christianity was to be about. If you don't know what Christianity is to be about, you're off on the wrong track. And so the, the, the letter to the Hebrews is a letter that we need to receive. And there's moments and parts along this road in this letter 
where the basic principles of the Christian life are expounded for us, for our good. We need to be reminded of what some would refer to as the ABCs of the Christian life, which in reality, that is not elementary in that it stays in the past, like you learn it and then you graduate. We need to be rehearsing these truths as we encounter the difficulties of this life. Their suffering, the Hebrew Christians, were causing them to actually question their status as children of the Father. Many were tempted to go back to the Old Covenant to free themselves from what they were experiencing, the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations. Many were equating assurance of sonship with a life free of suffering. And the author, inspired by the Spirit of God, goes, Brothers and sisters, you need to hear once again the basic principles of the Christian life. And so that is going to be my aim this morning, what we find in the passage. This is not exhaustive by any means. There will be parts of these verses where you're like, oh, I wanted to go there. We may not hit all of it. But what we see in our passage, I see about three of these basic principles that I want to pull out and help us um, wrap our minds around and our hearts around as we endure this pilgrimage here on earth. So, looking at our passage, I hope you have your Bibles open, found in these verses, the first foundational principle. The Christian life was not meant to be easy. The Christian life was not meant to be easy. We see as this chapter opens up before us, there is this picture or analogy being described, the Christian life as a race. And I wouldn't say it's a short sprint. This is a long distance race. And the emphasis seems to be on the length, the difficulty, this pilgrimage that's going to continue as long as we have breath in our lungs, which means we will go up against much pain, many obstacles along the way. And the author is saying, it's a race, prepare for it, and keep on running. Well, in order to do that, we are in need of endurance. That is made clear in our passage. And so with your Bibles open, I want you to just see how often in the beginning the word is used. This word endurance, let us run with endurance. And we're to look to Jesus while we're running, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And then verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. There is a call here for us to not just start a race, but to run and finish this race. This is an encouragement, an exhortation. As you run, keep running, brothers and sisters, keeping your eyes fixed on what awaits you at the destination. There needs to be a steadiness under enormous pressure. Difficulty, suffering. 
in the midst of all of that, this is the reality. You don't do this alone. Run with endurance. Run this race set before you, looking to Christ, because we cannot do this on our own, and we need his help. And what we're told again and again, the Lord is faithful. He will be your help in your time of trouble. Some immediately hear that, the way that that Christian life is framed, and say, that's not what I signed up for. Now, there must be another way. Can't you just do something that will take away the pain in my life? I, I really long to just experience kind of that easy, smooth sailing life that maybe you heard from someone or some writing or some um, false teacher that if you just accept Christ, everything, it's like the, the water will open, divide for you, and you will just have this easy life before you. The Christian life was never meant to be easy. The health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel sprinkles those false truths to people to entice, to motivate, to encourage you to turn and, and buy into something that actually is never described in Scripture. We must correct this erroneous idea that Christianity is easy. God is doing something in your life, please hear me, that is impossible, that is incredible, and it takes massive pressure upon something to change, to transform, to refine. Taking a rebellious child of wrath whose mind was once darkened, whose heart was hardened, whose will was set against God, and preparing you and me for glory requires a lot of pressure. John Bunyan once, once said this, and I try to do a little bit of research. I don't know where in the world this exists, but what he says is helpful there are some countries, I'll let you research and come back to me, where trees grow but do not produce fruit. And the reason why they don't produce fruit is because they're, they don't experience a winter. So there's, there's growth, but there's not the producing of fruit. And he's saying that to help the believers that he was ministering to, to understand the hardships, the difficulties, the trials, the winters of life are needed in order for us to produce fruit that glorifies God. And please note this, God is in control of all things, meaning any hardship, trials, sufferings that you endure did not catch him off guard or surprise him, yet are orchestrated and, and are given to us, his children, for our good. Endurance can only be produced by pressure. How do we know that? You could go to Romans chapter 5, for example, where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? 
knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What will silence most of our complaints about the Christian life being so difficult? Knowing this, God wants to do something that is not easy for him, and it's not easy for us. You may go, what did you just say? God can do anything. I want you to understand this. It was not easy for God. It is not easy for God when you look at what his son had to endure in order to accomplish this salvation for wretched sinners like us. It is hard for him, and it is going to be hard for us. The Christian life was never meant to be easy. If we can wrap our minds and hearts around that basic principle, it will radically change the way we experience this life, this pilgrimage. For some, it's a paradigm shift. If you have been sold that false gospel that it is all prosperity and blessing and riches and ease when you come to Christ, just know that is outside, that is extra biblical from what we are seeing in our passage this very day. If it were easy, brothers and sisters, we would never be built up to have this kind of endurance that we're called to have. We need those winters in our lives. Number two, the second foundational principle of the Christian life found in this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 is that discipline proves sonship. Discipline in our lives proves our sonship. The grace verse that we've been working through and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Every time you see the word discipline used in this passage, you need to understand that it is given to us. It comes within the atmosphere of the home, a family. This was really helpful for me because growing up when I heard this phraseology that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, my mind really, I guess, went only in one direction. It was, okay, when I sin really grievously, God's going to discipline me. And that's going to show me that he loves me. And I, I think that is biblically true. But what we see in this passage, when you dig into the original language, this is, this is family language. This is child training. And that broadens this idea of the Lord disciplining those whom he loves. God is 
child training us. And so, this is so helpful. We, as the, the men's leadership program, our little posse of guys digging into God's word and doing some reading, J.I. Packard helped us when thinking about justification and sanctification. Many times, we only camp out in justification, which is more like in a courtroom scene. And there is so much to praise the Lord in that particular environment where we stand condemned and God the judge can either declare us guilty for all eternity, that's what we deserve, or look upon his son who has been our substitute, died in our place, bore the wrath we deserve, and because of Christ's work, declare those who are guilty justified. And that is glorious. And that's in that courtroom setting. And Jaya Packard says that is wonderful and great, and we should meditate and glory in that. But in the Christian life, we want to also move out of the courtroom into the living room when we start to talk about sanctification. Both justification and sanctifications are benefits of the gospel. When we look at justification, this is something that he says. I'm sorry, sanctification. He starts talking about our adoption as sons and daughters. Adoption, J.I. Packer writes, is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. And many times when we think about discipline, we, our minds are still kind of courtroom, judicial, maybe punitive. And when you experience adoption as sons and daughters, it's no longer the punitive discipline of God, but it is a corrective, loving, child-training discipline. That is so very different what happens in a living room between a father who dearly loves his children and in a courtroom between a judge and one who stands before him condemned. And in the context of Hebrews 12, we're in the living room, so to speak. God the Father disciplines those whom he loves. He is training his children. This is another thing that J.I. Packer says. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. Yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. The heavenly father disciplines the ones he loves. So when you read a passage like Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rods, the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That has to be read in the context of a familial father to their beloved son. I love you enough to correct you when you're going down a path that leads to destruction. This is child training. If God did not do that for you, the writer says, that just means that you're an illegitimate child. A mark that 
you aren't one of his. But if you've experienced this child training, even if it is at times painful, it is an expression, a manifestation of God's love for you. I want you to catch what we see in verse 7. We see one of the most important phrases to understanding what it means to be a Christian. God is treating you as a son. Many of us respond in this life saying, I don't understand what God is doing in my life. My life right now is falling apart. What on earth is God up to in my life right now? And there are times in our lives where God does not give us a simple answer to all of life's questions. But here, he actually does. So whatever trial, hardship, suffering you are going through, if you are in Christ... Brothers and sisters, this is glorious one-to-one discipleship counseling that we need to hold the truth up to our brothers and sisters who are struggling. The response is very simple, and he is giving it to us. God is treating you as a son. You go, why in the world would I be experiencing this type of trial? God is, is treating you as a son. Some go, that's not sufficient. You would actually respond, God would not treat his child like this. And I just want us to delicately pause, take a step back, and in all of this, this is what is so helpful for us as believers, getting these basic principles. You ask that question, would God, who is so loving, treat his child like that? And all we have to do is look at his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ and see what he experienced on this earth. You go, hold on, if God was loving, I would not have these tears and this pain and this hardship and people treating me this way. Look to Christ. Did God allow his son to experience these types of things? If he did, the second question is, did he love his son? We need to just sit back. Many of us humbly bow the knee and say, I am sorry for standing up and brustling my my feathers towards God and saying, I don't deserve this. How could you treat me like this? And forget that it is out of love that he is child training us. And it is actually for our good. Out of love for you, God will use whatever pressure necessary to refine the ones that he loves. And he's refining, he's conforming, and it is to an end, into the likeness of his son. There is a purpose, a design for all the pressure put upon those whom he loves. God says, think of every situation that causes you pain. I am training you. 
I am here supporting you. I am strengthening you. Doing a work in that particular situation. In sorrow and affliction. In joy and triumph. All so that you will look less or resemble less like your, your family that you were born into. We love them. And more like the family that you've been adopted into. He is conforming us into the image of his son. And the question is, do you see the Christian life through that lens? Do you understand that that is good? It is loving. Our earthly fathers do their best to discern when and how to discipline. And the passage says, and we can echo this, we respect them for that. But he, God, verse 10, disciplines us for our good. When it says for our good, he knows exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. That we may share his holiness. Beloved, please hear this. Whatever it is you are going through, God is treating you as a son. The third foundational principle of the Christian life in this passage is that God is utterly passionate about creating holiness in your life. God is utterly passionate about creating holiness in your life. Here is the kicker. Many of us don't care. He's passionate about it. We're not. A basic principle of the Christian life, God is passionate about conforming you into the image of his son. Having a people that are set apart for his glory. We get so sidetracked, our care and concern is so quickly taken off of the prize, we forget we're running a race and, and don't even clue in to this idea that God has a far bigger vision for our life than what we define, according to the flesh, as success or the way that we judge one another. We, we need to hear this. God does not care as much as you think he might about the house that you live in, the type of car that you drive, how well you raise particular livestock, how many zeros are attached to your net worth. The list could go on and on and on. The things that we, the toys and trinkets that we accumulate and which we judge others by, recognizing that God could care less about that in comparison to conforming you into the image of his son. And again, you can ask, well, how do we know that? Throughout this whole passage, we look to Christ and ask, did God really care about those things in his own beloved son's life? The answer is clearly no. What makes us think that 
those little trinkets in our life matter more to God than what was going on in the eternal son of God's life while he walked on this earth. If we can just kind of have, get this paradigm shift, these basic principles in order, by God's grace, we are going to be able to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and not become weak and faint-hearted like the recipients of this letter found themselves and like many of us find ourselves today. He is preparing us for glory. That is the destination. This is a whole other sermon, but please fix your eyes upon the destination because that actually does not make you Uh, become one who's just kind of an escapist that you want to just leave this place, but thinking and meditating upon the destination and the prize actually informs the present to live in such a manner worthy of our calling. I think many of us have this confused kind of spiritual escapism that if we're thinking too much about our resurrection because Christ is the first fruits and we will follow him in the new heavens and the new earth when he comes back, that somehow we're going to disconnect from what we're to be about here. And I want to just submit to you that those realities that are ours in Christ actually inform how we go about our day-to-day and how we handle the trials and temptations and hardships of this life. The passage tells us to strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. There's so much we could say. I actually want to drive us down to the end of this passage. I want you to hear the last few verses again, and we've identified three basic principles. The author leaves us with, with, with a warning of sorts at the end of this passage. So here, verses 15 through 17 again, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a a single meal, For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This warning, I think, comes to us like this. How we think and how we live right now matters. Thinking carefully and rightly about God fuels passion and affections for God. John Piper said it like this, the mind, our minds, serve to know the truth that fuels the fires of the heart. So understanding these basic principles of the Christian life, having our heads on correct, straight, so to speak, as Christians, actually help us run the race, help us walk in a way that glorifies God, respond to difficulties in a biblical manner. And so here at the end, 
I think there's this emphasis with a warning that how we think and live matters. So, if the basic principles of the Christian life are not in place, when difficulties and hardship come, which they will, many will be thrown into a tailspin. And we kind of see this in these verses. So, I want to draw your attention to root of bitterness. It's in quotations there. And the author is taking that phrase from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 18 through 19. I want to read that passage for you and then hopefully flesh this out a little bit. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you, please hear this, a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when, they he, when, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. In a sense, this warning comes by giving us an example of faulty thinking. So you've been given these fundamentals, the basics of the Christian life, and here at the end he's saying, now here is where uh, a falsity, a false truth enters in, claims hold of someone's heart, and leads them astray. This is a warning. So what's happening here, there's this recognition that God is gracious. God is gracious, therefore, I can continue to walk in my sinful ways, and it doesn't really matter how I respond to God's word. That's what he's drawing from in that phrase, root of bitterness. Someone who experiences, hears about the grace of God, and this is where their mind goes. Because God is gracious, I can live however I see fit. And the author is saying, this is a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Be warned. This kind of loose living leads to death. So this faulty thinking is really important for us to identify, to root out, to put to death. Spurgeon talked about two ends of the spectrum of sin. He says, I am persuaded that if self-righteousness be deadly, which is definitely deadly, and that's one, self-indulgence is indeed disastrous. I desire to maintain always a balance in my life and ministry while combating self-righteousness to wage war perpetually with loose living. So after hearing the basic principles of the Christian life, the author is saying, please do not fall into this faulty thinking. It is poisonous. It will 
bear fruit unto death. Be aware. The second thing that he gives us, or example, warning, comes from Esau. It's interesting that Esau appears at the end of this passage. If you remember, he let the appetite of his stomach lead him into a serious offense against God. So there's this faulty thinking first of, hey, God is gracious, ergo, I can live however I please. Now we see Esau, someone who has fallen into sin, and we see the heart being exposed. Unless their affection is broken, the power of that affection severed, there really will be no real deliverance. You and I do not turn away from that which we love most. And what was exposed in Esau's life, the immediate, instant satisfaction of filling his belly overruled, weighed more, was more precious to him than what was being offered as the, the, the son and the inheritance that was to come. So may we identify this root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit and see Esau as standing as an example of someone who regrets what he has done but never truly repents of his wrongdoing. And what that exposes is that there was, a, yes, a worldly sorrow. He was, was, um, he was removed of a blessing It was withheld from him. It was taken from him. And that led to a sorrow. But that was just what he was about to lose. It was not a godly sorrow leading to repentance. What was absent from his cravings was a desire to love and follow God. There was something else ruling and reigning on his throne. And so what we think... And how we live matters now. The narrow way is full of trials and joy. The first foundational principle, the Christian life was never meant to be easy. And we need the Lord to create in us endurance. Number two, the the second foundational principle of the Christian life is that God disciplines those whom he loves, and please hear this, it proves our sonship. He is treating you as a son. And then lastly, that third principle of the Christian life is that God is utterly passionate about creating holiness in our lives. I want you to think about this for a moment. God loves you enough to take you to places that you never imagined going in order to produce in you something that you could never do in and of your own strength. This is a hallmark sign of a father child training his his kids whom he loves, who he cares for, not only now, but for all eternity. 
With the end in mind of holiness, he is conforming us into the image of his beloved son, training us for glory. Let us pray. Father, for many of us who think we are ready for the meat of Christianity, Lord, I know for me, many, many times, I need to be reminded of the milk. The basic principles of the Christian life that helps us reorient, helps us understand what it means to run this race before us with endurance. God, to hear from your word that you intended this life not to be easy, that you are up to something amazing and impossible, and only you, by your sovereign grace, can accomplish this work in sinners' lives like us, and that you treat us as your sons. If we are experiencing discipline, it is evidence of your love not to make us assume that somehow we have fallen outside of your grace. God, we need these basic principles in order to understand and navigate this life and help us to be as passionate about holiness as you are, keeping our eyes fixed upon your Son, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we pray all this in his glorious name. Amen. Please stand as Bryson.